Beyond the Fence Line, a podcast brought to you by the Texas Agricultural Land Trust. Created by landowners for landowners, we're proud to play a role in conserving the Texas legacy of wide open spaces. Well, welcome to Beyond the Fence Line. Um, I have one of my great friends and excited to have Jimmy Emmons here with us. And, uh, you know, we've been really talking about the last couple of epi- episodes on drought and the severe drought. And one of the things that just is definitely coming and, and we're pushing Texas of actually being a record of wildfires in, in Texas. And, you know, it hit, it hit close to me from home of uh, my fa- father-in-law's place, you know, a couple months ago there in Carbon, uh, burned and, and David Crow, our chairman, his place about three months ago burned. And uh, I just kind of, I just think this is a great topic for us to discuss and talk about of how to get through and kind of was thinking and I was like, there's not a better person than Mr. Jimmy Emmons to come and who's experienced it and can kind of bring his value and, and uh, of what he's been through and how he got through it. So Jimmy, thank you for, for being with us. Yeah, thanks a lot, Chad. I'm glad to, glad to be here. Jimmy, I want, you know, really start off by, you know, letting you tell your story. I mean, you felt the effects of these extreme weather conditions um, and, and you're Mr. Soil Health himself and understand how to really build that resiliency to work through those weather. But you've also had the, the heartaches um, and having to deal with wildfires and just love to hear your perspective and you, you kind of tell your story for us. Yeah, you know, it's uh, I've been very blessed to be on a, a very good journey past uh, 10, 12 years now uh, down Regenerative Ag and Soil Health Road. Uh, I was very fortunate to receive the first Leopold Conservation Award in Oklahoma. And while we were at the state capitol uh, that famous day of when April uh, 12th, in 2018, I started getting calls and texts that we were having a wildfire at home, and uh, so we had to exit pretty early and head home. And Chad, really, what we come come home to see was one of the most horrific uh, fires that we've ever seen in in our area. I'm not saying it was any bigger than than what we've seen on television in, in other parts of the country, but for us, it was a, a horrible uh, day that turned into nine days, uh, burned almost 300,000 acres in our county and 70 structures uh, across the county. Uh, Humidities were 3%, uh, 90 degree plus weather, uh, 40 to 60 mile an hour winds and shifting winds over the next nine days with fronts coming through. So it posed a lot of challenges uh, as we got home and we thought we'd missed the bullet the first night. Uh, very little uh, on us. The fire went 40 miles north. Uh, very devastating to neighbors and friends in front of that. Uh, but then the north wind turned around the next day, and, and here it came again. And then it was just back and forth for several days. Uh, so it wound up burning about uh, half to a little over half of our operation out. Lost machine sheds, some equipment. Uh, 25 miles of fence, uh, lost a few cows. Uh, we should have culled harder uh, than we did after the fire. Uh, just very devastating uh, to the ranch and to the financial side of that, mental side of that. 
and uh, it was uh, nine days that we'll won't forget for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's the point, right? It's a mental challenge, and as well as the physical and everything. I mean, I can only imagine you and Ginger driving back home from Oklahoma City had to cut short of a great celebration of all the great work both you and Ginger have done on um, with that Leopold Award. A lot was going through your head, right? Of uh, one, you're sort of in shock. You know, what do you do? How, how do you react? You know, is it severe? What are you, I mean, what are you thinking? What do you turn to? I mean, you're, all these questions are going through your head. Um, you know, walk us through that, that part. Well, the first obstacle was getting home the highway patrol had the, the state highways blocked uh and so i couldn't get through there so we had to be innovative and go back around and cut through some country to get home uh then we start trying to figure out you know what do we do with the cows how do we get them out of, in front of this thing uh and what do we do with them once we get them out in the road uh and uh, i actually had one set of cows uh, that the fire run over on the second day. Um, so we were out there trying to get them out of the burned area. They, they were all right. They got on some oil locations, uh, got in some creeks, uh, uh, but of course they had no food and they, they needed some more shelter. Uh, so we got them out, moved them down the road, uh, three miles to another pasture. Uh, and while we were doing that, uh, the fire department called me and asked me what we wanted out of our house. And I said, well, there's no fire back that way. Uh, and we're out here trying to move cows. And they said, well, you don't understand that the High Lines has arced uh, south of your house and started another fire, and we need to know what's out of your house. So we we knew we didn't have time to get back there. We give them a few instructions what, what to get or not to get, and uh, we managed to get these cows down the road before we started back home and then they had a wind shift saved our house but then here come the fire directly at us at a high rate of speed and actually run over them cows that we had just moved out of the fire area again um, and that we lost a few that time but then that whole set of cows and there's about a hundred in that group uh, we had to cull because they just went nuts after that, and and why wouldn't they? And you know some of the things that we experienced uh, in a few days, uh, you would naturally assume cows would run away from fire, out of the smoke. Uh, they will actually run into the fire, uh, into the smoke, uh, and so a lot of times producers, ranchers was trying to get cows out in the road, assuming that they would turn left and run away from the fire. The cows run into the fire and was perished there. So we learned quickly to make sure that we controlled where they were going. Uh, so it was, that really works on you. And, and putting down cows, I, I helped a neighbor uh, days after that, uh, that was a lifelong rancher uh, in their upper 70s, uh, had started their own restaurant herd years ago. Uh, we shot cows for two days at his place. Yeah. Uh, uh, the mental state <laughs> on us was tough. Uh, besides uh, them, it was more devastating them than naturally to us. 
So there is lots of things that you go through and emotions when you get up the next morning, you know, like, what the heck? What, what, what do we do? Yeah. yeah, what do we do today? You know, I think one of the things, even through all that devastation, you know, and I saw it, you know, hand in hand with you is, you know, and I, I think that's what the, one of the things that you love, I love about our ag industry and our farmers and ranchers is we all rally behind one another. And it was amazing to see so many folks in multiple states come to help. And it just that just amazing. Uh, oh, yeah. We, we had hay uh, and, and grain and cubes coming from everywhere, uh, fencing supplies, uh, post wire, you name it. We Our conservation districts jumped in kind of took the lead on you know where to unload and and how to, uh, to distribute that out uh, and then we have this thing as farmers and ranchers is really pride that you know I don't need help you need to help my neighbors right. and uh, so then uh, as I kind of got our cows kind of under uh, in in a place that they were going to be all right for a few days uh, we started taking our skid steer and going around and unloading hay as it was coming in to neighbors that were saying they didn't need it, right. that they really Re-did needed it. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was a great, great community, uh, uh, lots of support that came in that really helped us and all the neighbors get over a, a really bad tragedy. Now, as we kind of look at the weather conditions and everything's just lining up again, like I mentioned, this kind of a potential heavy wildfire you know, what is your advice to to these land stewards and these landowners, and you know what should be their most immediate priority? Well, trying to make your ranch uh, fire ready, I guess, would be the word I would I would use uh, on these extreme windy days, low humidity days, uh, where the fire uh, danger is high. You know, make sure you got your tankers, your water trailers. Uh, supplies full uh, around your house keep uh, you know keep the sprinklers on keep the grass and stuff around your house and uh, stuff uh, wet down the best you can or at least ready to uh, move your cows uh, if you can to to some shorter grass areas uh, if that's possible at all just kind of be thinking about if something happens uh, if we had them cows located in this pasture, we could let them uh, down the road here into some wheat or some different things that you might, just things that you need to think about what if this happens. Uh, so that when that does, you don't have to really yeah. go through that process that you're kind of fire ready. Yeah, could, I mean, there's nothing more important that, and you kind of, human nature, we want to push off those contingency plans and like, ah, we don't, we'll, we'll be fine, but... When you get the call when you're in Oklahoma City <laughs> that, you know, it, it's hard to, I mean, you're just, your mind's going a hundred different directions and it's hard to kind of think clearly and having those down from any kind of, you know, uh, being wildfire, major droughts, all those things are, I think, good, good options for landowners to have that in place. You know, yesterday we were on tours here and one of the ranchers is talking about uh, putting a poly wire up. 60 or 100 foot wide from the county roads, state highways to kind of overgraze a little bit along yep. the roads to slow that buffer down. Uh, th- that's all good. That's uh, 
good strategies. Uh, the things that we don't think about is what a 40 or 60 mile an hour wind, uh, how far fire will jump. Uh, and the worst thing you can do is be in front of a fire like that. Uh, you cannot outrun a fire in front. So you've got to learn to be on the sides, uh, of that fire and do what you can do. And if you, if you see it coming, just think how long it takes you to drive 60 mile an hour to that place and you divide that by about half uh that doesn't give you long to get ready you know i think this may be a good time to pause and you know add a little perspective for our some of our listeners who may not you know really be actively involved on the hands day you know hand you know day-to-day operations of our agricultural operations so let's talk a little bit about, you know, the wildlife effects uh, to the farmer or a rancher. And, you know, you already shared, you know, a lot of some examples, but, you know, what are what are some of these other cascading impacts of these fires, right? The time, dollars, the economic, you know, our soil health, our ecosystem service health, um, supply chain, dis- you know, disruptions, all of these things. Yeah, I mean, there's just huge things that, that move into place uh, wildlife wildlife have the ability uh, much much le- a lot better than domestic animals because we pretty well fenced our cows in uh, that they can't get away right wildlife have the ability to, to move themselves out of the way and pretty well the majority of them are what can survive not all don't get me wrong right uh, but what happens is it dro- it destroys their food and water supply and ecosystem that how do they survive right. and you know we immediately think about our cows and our our material things that make us money uh, but they need water and they need food uh, as well and so that's things that that we really don't think about and then you touched about uh, supply the biggest challenge for us even though we were getting donations in was fencing materials because uh, everybody need fencing materials and the local uh, lumber yards and, and, and stores done an amazing job but you still can't move that much material uh, that quickly in Dewey County alone uh, the the C, uh, ECP program the first round of fencing in Dewey County come in at nearly $12 million of aid from FSA. And so that was only at a a 70% cost share. So you you multiply that up to, you know, we were approaching the 20 million uh, pretty quick uh, in the first round. Well, that's just in fencing. And so when you try to move that much materials into a, a county that quickly, uh, it's very challenging. Yeah, I imagine. I mean, what? I mean, what did you see? And you know, uh, from your place, neighbor's place, just the effect of that intense, right? The intensity is, is you know, wildfire is not a prescribed fire, right? And, and may, I'd like to kind of really dive into that a little bit more of, of what does that affect from our soil health and ecosystem and recovery. Well, well, when we do a prescribed fire or controlled fire, or prescription fire, whatever you want to call it, and fire 
is a really good tool for ranchers uh, for brush control and, and different things. And uh, But we like to burn in, in 80 degree temperature, 85, uh, you know, maximum and 30% humidity, 25, 30, 35% humidity. And so we have very little impact on the biological activity below ground and wildlife. Uh, and that fire is just not, the intensity is, you just can't compare it at all. Like I said, our fire, we had 3% humidity, right. uh, 95 degree weather, uh, very intense. Uh, we had in some of the, the creek crossings where we had uh, heavy timber, cedar load, uh, we had T-posts that actually been overdue to heat. Uh, and that's thousands of degrees of heat. It's not hundreds, it's thousands. And so when you have that kind of intensity, uh, you destroy uh, the top few inches of your biological community and your soil health. You burn all the armor off the ground. I had said when I started down this road of, of soil health that, you know, my land would never blow again. Well, I can tell you, <laughs> never say never. Uh, and and we see this after fires. Uh, we normally have windstorms after that. It just kind of disrupts the local uh uh, microclimate so to speak and so we have a lot of blowing ash and dust which is another uh, eco, you know ecosystems thing that you have to deal with because the animals that you still have have all the soot uh, uh, smoke dust blowing uh, and then you got to figure out how to stop that that dust and if you're in a drought that's extremely hard to do and a lot of people want to try to disturb that top uh, plant something, but but really you you make it worse the more you disturb it if you don't have the moisture. And uh, you know if if I was trying to help anybody right now, and I've done a few of these fire uh, talks uh, across the country after our fire, is wait till it rains. Be prepared. Have seed. Have things in place. And when it rains, get to planting. Uh, try not to disturb it, or you'll make it worse. Yeah, so what are some other ideas or thoughts kind of in that management side of, you know, how to, what are some other key things or other things that you did or maybe even better, some things that you did that you wish you wouldn't have, you know, after? Yeah, so I, I had some neighbors that wanted to plant some covers in some uh, improved pastures, uh, some old world blue stem that they thought was was done. Right. Uh, and what we done, we we actually cut the, the the top loose by drilling that even with a no-till drill, uh, and then it started blowing worse. And everything that we seeded before the rain, we shouldn't have done that. And that's the reason I was saying that a little bit ago. Um, you know, I had producers that wanted to reseed uh, their grassland. One thing that we're very blessed with is a natural seed bank that has this amazing ability, even in an extreme fire, to reseed itself and, and, and recover if you'll give it time and, and, and stay off of it and protect it. And that's the hardest thing to do is when the grass started coming back, you know, months after that, uh, was to stay off of it yeah. and give it due rest uh, because it had been just like us through a traumatic time. And... Uh, I saw ranchers uh, that didn't heed that warning 
uh, that paid a dire consequence down the road by really hurting that, that stand of grass that was trying to come back. And, and that's the hardest thing is, just, you know, what do you do with your animals if you saved them right. uh, for food and, 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 you know, shelter and stuff. So, uh, you know, it's, it's knowing somewhere, uh, friends, network that, that you can get your cattle off to. And I was very blessed have a have a great friend in eastern oklahoma tom cannon that actually uh took half my cow herd in himself and uh on his ranch and helped me save a lot of them animals yeah and then you know it's tough i mean you look at i mean we look at just you know texas alone we're you know over a quarter of the state is an extreme drought you know and it's same in oklahoma and these others is you know and it just seems like we get these wildfires kind of followed through drought and then it's hard to find those you know, grass is short everywhere, yeah. and it's it, it's it's a tough it's a it's a tough battle for sure. But you know, we have this amazing uh, network of producers across the country, and we're more connected now than ever through social media and 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 technology. Yeah, exactly and, right. And uh, it's easier to find them uh, that grass than than it used to be uh, because you just connect so much quicker. Uh, but it's still hard, you know. Everybody, most p- producers don't have abundance of extra grass, right? Uh, it, so it, it is hard. But there, is, there is ways, to, and there's networks now that's being built that makes it easier to do that. But it is still challenging. Yeah, I think the the number one thing I think through our conversation, Jimmy, is that landowners should know that they're not in it. You know, they're not in this situation alone. There's, there's the networks, there's people like yourself that, you know, it's always good to talk to a peer than a peer that's been kind of in the same boots. And, yeah. um, and, you know, you mentioned some other, you know, government programs and you used to wear that hat for a little bit. I mean, any, what are some key, uh, programs and things like that, that are available? Well, on, on fencing, it's, uh, FSA has a, uh, ECP, it's Emergency Conservation Program, that will help build, rebuild fences. The thing that you got to watch is don't do anything, first of all, until you go talk to your offices. Uh, they get a declaration from the secretary or the president of a disaster. And then there's certain guidelines and, and restrictions of how you build a fence and rules and disturbance on the ground. Uh, don't go bulldoze the fence out to start right. with, uh, because if you do, then you're probably not going to qualify. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's very important just to, as much as we want to get with it and, and get things going back, just to take a, a deep breath, uh, go talk to the offices before you do anything, and follow the rules. If you follow the rules, uh, you can you can be compensated, you know, 70, 75 percent. And I, I've had neighbors say, well, I won't mess with all that paperwork and stuff. Well, I'm telling you, Chad, with 25 miles of fence, and I had neighbors that had 60 and 80 miles of fence down, at that time at ten or $11,000 a mile, wow. yeah, you, can't. you, you yeah. can't absorb that very easy yourself right. or at all. Right. Uh, and so, you know, take the opportunity and, and take the assistance that the nation provides to you and just follow the rules and, and, and uh, do the best you can. Yeah. And I, you know, in every state and, you know, in Texas, the Texas Farm Bureau, 
you know, has relief funds or Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association are always there to help as well. There's lots of associations in Oklahoma that helped us out of uh, extremely well uh, revenue-wise, support-wise. And we talked a little bit a while ago about the mental side. Uh, you know, just don't be afraid to talk to friends and neighbors when you're stressed out and you don't know uh, what tomorrow is going to bring because there there is help. Well, Jimmy, any other last words or words of wisdom? <laughs> well, I don't know about wisdom. Uh, you know, if you look at our ranch, uh, four years later now, and we just had our four-year anniversary this, this April 12th, and then we were under fire weather morning that, that day, and it's like, you know, we just afraid. Here we go again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're just, after you go through something like that, uh, them events that come up is still embedded in, you know, you say it's behind you, but it's never behind you. It's always with you. Um, the, the thing about it is it, it it's all recoverable. Uh, the only thing that's not recoverable is loss of life. And uh, uh, that that's, you just really need to be careful when you're fighting fires uh, and it's, you're in the heat of the moment to, to think, you know, our safety, our family's safety, our friends uh, needs to be the ultimate uh, thing that we gotta be thinking about. Uh, because we can't replace them. We can replace fences, grasses, crops, equipment, barns eventually, it, even though it's that hard, but you can't replace uh, that human life. So just be safe when you're out there and, and think about, you know, what's an exit strategy out of this, this pasture, now this place, if it comes right up on us and uh, uh, everything's rebuildable other than that. No, those are great points. and. Um, Jimmy, I'm so glad we were able to catch up here at the Grass-Fed Exchange Conference and a great conference, a lot of great, you know, conversation on grazing and soil health and, you know, all of these things. And, uh, you know, really, you just sharing your, your story, I think, really helps and raise the awareness and the challenges um, for, for many of our land stewards across that, you know, already have or potentially will face as you mentioned yeah and it's it's just an important thing to think about is everything we do on the land uh, has an impact and we have the the ability to choose it whether it's positive or a negative one and just try to think about how to put a positive impact on the land yeah uh, very very good and please uh, give your better half ginger a hug for me my my hunting and fishing partner out there and and uh, i wish she was she was here with us um she's actually putting calves in that's <laughs> out today at home so uh, somebody's got to stay home yeah. but yes uh, really appreciate it and i will yeah. thanks a lot chad yeah. yeah well for our listeners a quick reminder to rate and review us so we can continue to share the stories about producers like jimmy and ginger and uh, all these great land stewards across the country and way and and really raise awareness the importance of our wide open spaces and jimmy i would love for you to kind of end our show with your your favorite saying because there's no better way to end it well long live the soil beyond the fence line is brought to you by the texas agricultural land trust dedicated to conserving the texas heritage of agricultural lands wildlife habitats and natural resources find out more at txaglandtrust.org <laughs>